you have elementary age kids, uh, we would love them to be a part of it. We have happening with our Vine Kids Time <clears throat> out this side door here, right out the back. You can follow these young ladies and Mr. Patrick out the side door. If you have a middle school age kid, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th in that window, we have got an opportunity for them right out in front there in our little foyer that we would love for them to, uh, to be a part of um, this morning as, uh, as well. So very exciting stuff. Hopefully everybody will come back and join us next week. These kiddos have been working on their stuff really hard and they're going to be uh, doing their little pageant for us or their extravaganza for us next uh, Sunday. So we want to give them our full support. And so hopefully you'll come and bring folks with you and family and, and we'll get to celebrate that with them. It'll be really fun. Next Sunday is going to be a really, really fun Sunday. So as you know by now, it's the third Sunday in the season of Advent, and uh, we've been kind of taking a little bit of a pause from our study of the Gospel of, of John. We're going to be wrapping that up in the few weeks into the new year um, to kind of focus on the season like we always do. I kind of step back and take a picture of what's unfolding right over these few weeks before Christmas. How do we center our hearts and lives on it, right? So we ask ourselves a series of questions, right? So what is Christmas really about? Right now, culturally, we kind of know, right? Christmas is about trees and, and Santa Claus and songs and, and red and green Hershey's kisses and figgy pudding and Yule logs and whatever those are, and about Lexus commercials where dads give moms cars and the kids have a snowball fight outside and no one's ever cold, right? It's about uh, your aunt bringing that jello mold over that always has pineapple in it for some reason. It's about shopping malls and songs and things. It's just about culturally all of those pieces, right? I mean, that's what we know it as culturally. And of course, we say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? We know that Christmas isn't really about presents, right? It's not about giving things. It's not about acquiring consumer-driven stuff, right? I mean, we, we know that. I printed off a few things that I thought were interesting as I was kind of looking through stuff this, uh, this week. But on Friday, I read an article out of Forbes magazine that says that this year, we are going to spend almost one trillion dollars on holiday spending. One trillion dollars. Ninety percent of that will take place between Thanksgiving and Christmas, meaning nine hundred million dollars we will spend between Thanksgiving and Christmas on holiday treasures, gifts and things and, and gifts for each other. And according to the 2018 American Giving Report, we spend 410 billion, last year in 2017, 410 billion dollars uh, the entire year giving to charitable organizations that include our churches. What that basically means is that in one year, we gave $410 billion to charitable organizations, including our churches, and in 30 days, we are going to double that on what we spend on gifts and holiday treasures for each other, right? That means that in these 30 days, we are going to spend double what we gave the entire year to charitable organizations and churches in 2017, According to the American Research Group, Americans are going to spend $992 this year on gifts for their families. $992. That's the average of what they're going to spend on families. 33% of those families are going to put those on credit cards that they cannot pay off. Right? So 33% of the American public is going to put their portion of those gifts on credit cards that they will not be able to to pay off, right? So we know, of course, Christmas isn't about giving and about spending and about consumerism, right? That's what we say as a church, but the truth is we're driven by it, right? So just to make you feel a little bad, listen to this. The National Center for Family Homelessness says that a staggering 2.5 million children 
are now homeless each year in America. It's the highest historic rate in, in our lifetime, right? In all of these years. It means that one out of every 30 children in the United States is going to experience homelessness this year. I read a, uh, a, a study by a group that's taken all 50 states and it, it measured the extent of child wellness and child homelessness. And Oklahoma, of course, ranks 43rd. 50th is the worst, right? What we learned is when they ranked all those states, we learned that Oklahoma ranked 43rd overall in the rate of child homelessness, meaning that in 2013, our state alone had 43,643 homeless children. 43,643 homeless children. If we kind of widen that out a little bit, we learned that half the world's population, almost 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day. And UNICEF reports that a child dies every 20 seconds due to lack of access to clean, viable drinking water, right? Which is a very solvable problem. 22,000 children die each day due to poverty and poverty-related issues. And if you think about those numbers, right, staggering kind of numbers of spending $900 billion on holiday treasures between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's said that we could solve the world's clean water crisis with $30 billion. Now, I realize it's way more than money, right, to politics and all that, of course, but for $30 billion, we could solve the world's water crisis. You know what Americans spent on bottled water in 2017? $18 billion on bottled water. Now, I say all these things not just to make you feel bad, but to remind us that we have created this cultural thing around Christmas that's driven by consumerism. It's driven by, by ourselves, driven by our desire to keep up with and or have and or be a part of this consumeristic movement that is driving us as a culture. And if we think about the gospel in light of the consumeristic movement of our culture towards Christmas, it's heartbreaking, right? Now, we're not going to solve the child homelessness. We're not going to permanently solve all the crisis of everybody in poverty. We're not going to be able to do all that. But if we thought a little bit differently about our consumer-driven mentality and how it conflicts with the gospel, it would change the way that we think about everything, including this season. What do you think truly matters to the heartbeat of God? Because whatever matters to the heartbeat of God should matter to us. So what is Christmas really about? Well, Christmas is really about the incarnation, right? It's about the person of God becoming Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God and the person of Jesus Christ breaking into our world in this sort of radical collision between heaven and earth that we talked about last week. That as John talks about light piercing the darkness. That this incarnation was not some peaceful easing in of a little baby lying in a manger, but it was perfect, holy, majestic, mighty God breaking into sinful humanity in a, in a collision of heaven and earth. And as we're going to see today, it had parts of it that were violent. Because holy, majestic, mighty God came crashing into earth to redeem and save humanity from our war-ridden hearts against the holiness of God. And somehow in the midst of all these things, we unintentionally reduce Christmas to shopping malls and lights and decorations and what we can spend to try and cover up for our lack of contentment in who God is. Now, those things aren't wrong, of course, right? They're part of our great sort of family stories and traditions, and buying gifts for each other isn't wrong. But when we are driven by those pieces instead of by the gospel itself of what unfolded over these 
weeks and on this day, it changes the reality of it. So what is Christmas about really? Well, it's about the presence of God, right? It's about the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And over these four weeks, we've kind of been exploring different pieces through the lens of the messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah in chapter 9, 700 years before the birth of Christ, is, is telling the nation of Israel that there is hope for them. Now, you've got to remember, there was, Israel was in a, in a really bad place, right? They were, uh, they were being pressed by enemies on all sides that wanted to kill them and eventually would. Isaiah was telling them it was going to happen, and they had a king that didn't reign in righteousness and didn't love the Lord. And Isaiah had been telling them that they were about to be handed over, and God was going to release them, and they were going to be conquered, and it was a hopeless and awful time. And Isaiah pipes up in chapter 6 and in chapter 9, he says, however, I want to let you know that there is hope in the middle of this hopeless season. And that hope is going to come in the form of a child. And that child is going to be given to you. And as we look at the past few weeks, Isaiah gives these four sort of titles for this, this Messiah that was going to come and redeem and rescue and give hope to Israel in the middle of their hopeless time. Hey, Brandon started a few weeks ago by talking about Jesus coming as a wonderful counselor. Last week, we looked at Jesus as mighty God and everlasting Father. And this week, we're going to be looking at that last name, which Isaiah calls Prince of Peace, right? Prince of Peace. So we're going to look at Isaiah, and then we're going to jump back to Luke chapter 2 for just a little bit and spend a majority of our time there as we unpack this idea of the, the fact that Jesus broke into our world as a prince of peace. And not an ambassador that was going to come and broker deals so that nations wouldn't war. But he broke into our world as a prince of peace to remedy our war-ridden heart against the holiness of God. That is what this season boils down to is that God gave us his presence that we might let the world know that there's hope in the middle of hopelessness. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Isaiah chapter 9 for a few seconds, and then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 2, both places this morning. I want to read the Isaiah chapter for its context, and then we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 2. But before we do that, let's just go before the Lord, and let's just pray. Lord, I am grateful for the opportunity to gather here this morning and worship together and open your word. And not in the sense of just trying to, to feel bad that, that we have made mistakes or given in to our consumer-driven sort of hearts. We know that. Lord, these are not new things. These are not new numbers. Every single one of us knows that. Lord, we know the, the pandemics that are going on around the world. We know the, the mistakes we've made in our own heart. We know the way that we're, our lack of contentment sort of drives our feelings of need and needs for either financial security or materialism or whatever. Those are not new things. But what I do want to be fresh this morning is that I want to remember that you did this for us. That our hearts, our sinful hearts are at war against your holiness. And it's a violent war. And you broke into this world to remedy that violence to conquer death and to give life so that we no longer had to be guided and run by our consumeristic, material, fearful, anxious hearts. But we could have our lives run by the presence and peace of the presence of God. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to prepare you just to hear his word this morning. Nothing fancy or nothing really new even. Just ask the Lord to teach your heart.
Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you. Just pray that God would move in them, that they would hear his voice this morning, that he would move in their hearts. Be in the habit of praying for other people as we do each week. Lord, we turn our time over to you. We ask you to be exalted and glorified and lifted up, Lord. And we we ask these things in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So I want to read Isaiah 9 for its context. We've read it each week. I just want you to hear it because it's going to be the backdrop of what we are talking about this morning. So remember, Isaiah 9, chapter, or verse 6 and 7, Isaiah is giving this promise to a very hopeless Israel, right? They realize that they are, are living in a, a way that is against the sort of will of the Lord. They are being led by a king who is not a follower of the Lord, who is not reigning in righteousness. Isaiah has told them they're going to be conquered. They know their enemies are pressing in all around them. And Isaiah says, however, there's hope. And that hope's coming in the form of a child. And little do they know that child won't come for 700 years. But this is the hope that Isaiah is not just giving them, but he's giving you and he's giving me. And he says this in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the all Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That messianic prophecy is going to give way in Luke chapter 2, right? Where Luke tells us that today in, a town of, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is proclaiming the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. That's what Luke is doing. As, as, Luke, as uh, Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, Luke is going to recall those words and say, for today, the town of David a child is born. And he's going to go on and explain this idea of the Prince of Peace. So I want you to flip over to Luke 2, where we're going to be this morning. And I love this text. Every single Advent, I figure out a way to wiggle Luke 2 into what I'm teaching. Because it is an incredible piece of text that is just only examined this time of year, right? Shepherds in the fields and all those things. It just seems only fitting here. We don't visit it very often. But we all know it so well. It's part of our Christmas pageantry, part of the stories. It's part of our lexicon of Christmas stories. But very seldom do we stop and examine its pieces and look at what really is unfolding when we talk about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. So I want to read it to you, and then we're going to take it apart piece by piece here for just a few moments. Hopefully this will sound familiar. We just heard it read as part of our Advent reading this morning. Hopefully it'll resonate with weeks, the past over Advent seasons that we've talked about or part of your own family's tradition of reading these stories over Christmas. But this hopefully is really familiar and then we'll look at it together. Luke chapter 2 verse 8, this is what Luke records. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, that there will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared before the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, he had, what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, hopefully, this story is really familiar, right? Its, its pieces are familiar, right? The Charlie Brown, Linus, retells this account in Luke 2, like we have heard it, and we have heard it, and we have heard it. But if you think about it in the context of Jesus, Prince of Peace, which is where I want to kind of carry that today, there's something really remarkable here. Now, first thing you've got to understand is kind of how this announcement, this birth announcement, this majestic announcement was made, right? So these are shepherds. <clears throat> They're basically cultural throwaways. Out in the fields, most likely young boys tending their sheep at night. The life of a shepherd was kind of a throwaway job. It was reserved for those in the family that probably didn't have any other prominent role or couldn't do anything else. We know this to be true. If you remember back in the Old Testament when God was going to anoint a king of Israel, he sent Samuel out to find the person that God was going to call as king. And Samuel goes to Jesse's house and Jesse lines up seven staggering, beautiful sons. And he says, Samuel goes down the line and he gets to the end. He goes, do you have any more? Because none of these fools are in. Sam, and and uh, Jesse's like, well, no. I mean, I've got one more, right? But he's the youngest, and he's out tending the sheep. In other words, he wasn't even worth bringing, right? Of course, that turns out to be David, who ends up being anointed as king of Israel. We know that shepherds were throwaways. So here is the God of the universe, right, showing up in the middle of the Middle Eastern night sky, announcing this incredible birth announcement, the fulfillment of Micah, the fulfillment of Isaiah and some of the Psalms, these prophetic messianic promises to a bunch of shepherds that are in the fields at night, making sure that wolves don't eat their sheep. Boys, lowly, throwaway, cast-offs culturally. God's not making a, a birth announcement to the royalty to the Pharisees, to those that would carry the message. He shows up in the Middle Eastern night sky to these shepherds, right? And he declares to them, as they were living out there in those fields, right? He declares to them, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone all around them, and they were terrified. So a lot of times our picture, right, is this. There's sort of an angel of the Lord, and he eases into the sky, and the, the shepherds are there, and, and the angels start singing, and they're all singing, and they're all singing these songs, and everybody's just peaceful and relaxed. But if you read that account, that's not what happens at all. It says that an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone all around him and they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because God's glory is like nothing anybody has ever seen. Do you remember what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus? Saul's walking the road to Damascus, a letter in hand from the chief priest to arrest and persecute Christians. And it says that the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord shone all around him. And uh, Saul goes to the ground and he goes blind. 
and he's terrified. God's presence here is not like stepping into the sunshine on a cloudy day. It's not a warm feeling. It is an explosion of his glory. And when people have an encounter with God in scripture, right, a real encounter, their hair turns white, they're terrified, they fall to the ground, and sometimes they die. Angels of the Lord, angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shows all around them, and the shepherds are petrified. Because here's the inbreaking of God, right? We're talking about the incarnation, the presence of holy, majestic God, God's glory crashing into sinful humanity. It's not peaceful, kumbaya, everybody hug it out. It is a radical collision of heaven and earth. And the shepherds are terrified. Of course, the angel knows this. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you great news and joy that will be for all the people. So the angel Lord says, look, I recognize your terror, but don't be afraid. What I've got for you is great news for all people which is the single greatest statement for you and for myself, right? Because this promised Messiah was not just coming for the Jewish people. The angel of the Lord announces that to the most lowly of religious people. Even though they were Jewish shepherds, they weren't Pharisees, they weren't high on the list, they weren't the people that you would think that God would come and announce his presence to. <clears throat> they were humble worker boys. And this promise is for all people. The glimpse that this Savior was coming for all of humanity, for you and for me, is made right here. That this isn't just the promised Messiah that was going to come and just redeem Israel, but it was going to come and redeem humanity. And God makes that announcement to these shepherds. Do not be afraid. Good news and great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, Christ the Lord. You know, Micah's prophecy was uh, predicted that the, or prophesied that the Messiah would come to the town of David. Luke, this is sort of the fulfillment of that. The town of David is, is actually the town of Bethlehem because this is where David was anointed and most likely where he was born. So the town of Bethlehem is also the city of David in this phrasing. Born to you, right? To these lowly shepherds, to all people. He is Christ the Lord. Remember, of course, I've said this so many times, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It's a, it's a title. It's a messianic title. Here is Christ the Lord. And a sign will be given to you. You, won't, you don't believe me that this is big enough, right? That I'm kind of blowing up the sky. I'll, I'll give you a sign. There's a baby in a manger and he's wrapped in clothes. You can go see him for yourself. It's basically what the angel says. Then it says, suddenly, if all that wasn't enough, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom, on whom his favor rests. So as if this angel of the Lord announcing to the shepherds wasn't enough, he's, he's accompanied now by this host of angels, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a lot, right? Like I'm guessing it's this massive sort of gathering of heavenly hosts, and they're all proclaiming and chanting this thing and the, the sort of concert of concerts or the first worship service of Jesus happens. And it's a heavenly explosion. Glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. Right? He's broken into humanity. And peace on earth to whom his favor rests. Now, when you and I think about this phrase, peace on earth, which is now going back to the Isaiah account, right? This will be the prince of peace. We think about <coughs> peace on earth. We think about greeting cards, right? It's on every one of our Hallmark Christmas greeting cards. There's a few cards that dot the aisle, the religious cards that dot the aisle at Walmart on Christmas. Peace on earth. And we get this idea that Jesus is this sort of broker of peace. That he's coming, that if we all just trust and follow him, we will all get along. Everything will work out. He's going to broker deal between nation and nation, and no one's going to fight and wage war. We just want peace on earth. And for us, peace on earth means everybody get along. That's what it means to us, right? Peace on earth. Because we take half of this verse and exploit it. But the incarnation didn't come so that we could all sit around and hug each other and hold hands and just get along. The incarnation was a radical explosion between God's holiness and sinful humanity. It was a collision of violence. Think about the very life of Jesus, this prince of peace that was betrayed and beaten and crucified and his followers that would be martyred, many of whom would be burned alive or crucified or beaten. And it's happening all over the world today. That persecution wasn't relegated to 2,000 years ago. There are believers all over the country that we choose to turn our eyes away from that are giving their lives for Christ today. The incarnation didn't happen so that we could all just get along for two, three, four weeks a year, put some lights on our house and all get together and sing carols. The incarnation happened because we were at violent war against the holiness of God. Our sinful humanity is at violent war against the holiness of God. And at the center of that war is your heart. My heart is dark. And it is at war against the holiness of God. And Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, not to broker peace between nations, but to broker life against death. To bring peace to my war-ridden heart so that I might have harmony with God. See, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came so that those whom his favor rests, right? Those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, that he draws into his presence, would have peace with God. Because apart from Jesus, we are separated for eternity. We are destined for God's wrath and destruction. That is the truth of the gospel. But Jesus, the incarnation, the embodiment of God, the person of Jesus Christ, broke into humanity to broker peace between sin and death, life everlasting. What that angel Lord says is this. He says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, right, to men on whom his favor rests. God's favor rests on those that surrender their life and heart to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus' prince of peace came to render our violent, worn, torn hearts into complete and beautiful harmony with the heartbeat of God. There's no way that can be reduced to shopping malls and hot chocolate. Jesus, Prince of Peace, came, sacrificed himself, walked this earth sinlessly and flawlessly 
was beaten, betrayed, abandoned, abused, gave his life up voluntarily, and died. And then God victoriously, through his incredible, miraculous power, raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death, that if we put our hope and trust in him, we not only have the promise of eternal life, we have true, real, abundant life today. We have peace with holy, majestic, mighty God. Our hearts will be in harmony with this because of the peace that Jesus brings those whom put their trust in him. I know we think that most of our problems will go away if we can all just get along. And you know what the truth is? That some of our worldly problems may go away. But we've got a much bigger problem that's staring us in the eternal heart. If we all get along here on earth, we still have an eternal problem. We are sinful at the core. And yet God loved us enough to send a remedy that if we put our hope and trust in him, we have peace with him. So when the angels had left, right, they went back into heaven, which is, I don't know, maybe probably amazing. We were in the Holy Land of the Middle East this past March. We went out to the place where they believed the fields would have been outside of Bethlehem. It's just amazing. You can imagine these shepherds out there, right, and these, these angels appearing and these hosts and then just being gone. And then they said to each other, right, they, they, the angels left and they, they said to one another, well, let's go, right, I mean, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, that the Lord has told us about. Because he told us that if we go, we would see this thing, this baby wrapped in these clothes, lying in a feeding trough for a bunch of animals. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby um, lying there in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told. So they hurried off, right? Which means the shepherds left their sheep, which they never would do, Right? They left their sheep out there in the fields. They ran, I'm guessing, to Bethlehem. I guess that's what hurried would entail, right? We gathered, we left, we went. And we found it, just as the angel said. There was Mary and Joseph and this baby. And they spread the word. And they told everybody that they knew. Everybody they came across. And everybody was amazed at what the shepherds said. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising. They went back out to the fields, glorifying and praising God. For what they had seen and what they had heard and what they had been told. <clears throat> it's really easy for me to get wrapped up in stuff and things. Like my life is just sort of a picture of a um, sort of captured, enslaved consumer heart. Constantly at war, right? Constantly knowing these are the things that God wants me to be entrapped by or to be, to be ensnared by or to be caught up in. I know that. It doesn't make them less present. And I find myself fighting, right, the anxieties and the worries. Even this time of year when I know all of these amazing things, I'm trapped. I'm trapped. And as I think about how Jesus broke into our world and what he really came to do for me. And I believe, I've confessed, I've given my life to Jesus. I believe that I'm set free, of course, and that I, I'm standing in his glory. He frees me and forgives me, but yet I still fight him. I still have my heart at war because it's driven by my sinful nature. And the God of the universe came to give me peace. Peace from anxiety, peace from worry, 
peace from fear and peace from death. A lot of times we reduce our Christian life to just the promise of heaven. I'm saved and therefore I know when I die, there is something glorious that waits for me. And that's how I reduce my Christian life. We fail to remember that that eternal life began the moment we gave our life to Jesus. And that he came not only to give us peace when we die, but peace and the breath you draw today. Peace from the anxiety and the worry and the fear that has seized your heart. Peace from the consumerism that's, that's sealed you. Peace from the anger and the lack of forgiveness you have from people that have hurt you. Peace from all of those things. The ability to, to remedy and rectify and let those things go and allow the holiness of God to win over your war-ridden heart. If anything, this season is a reminder of all of that that we don't have to live this sinful, broken, captured, divisive heart. That we've been set free in Christ. And none of that can be reduced to Christmas trees and ice skating and mittens and eggnog. If you are celebrating those things, yet living with fear and anxiety in your heart, you are missing the Prince of Peace. If you are celebrating presence and family and friends, yet living with anxiety and worry, you are missing the Prince of Peace. Don't exchange one for the other. Isaiah's promise to a war-ridden, desperate, anxious, fearful people came in the promise of a child that one day they would have peace. And that peace would reign in their lives. My prayer for you and my prayer for me this week is that we would find peace in Christ. Deep, real, true peace. To be able to close your eyes and draw breath and say, Lord, none of those other things are going to win. As hard as the season is for you, maybe you lost somebody that you love, maybe anxiety is gripping you, maybe this wasn't the sort of ideal job that you thought you signed up for, maybe family is not going like you wanted, that we close our eyes and we say as a, as a person has been set free in Christ, peace is going to win when I worship you. Don't exchange the truth of God for a lie. This is Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting, perfect father, and the prince of peace. Worship the right person this season. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the reality, Lord, that every single one of us, if we're really honest, has a worn, torn heart. We have let the things of the world run and convict and push places in our heart. I know there are men and women in here that are dealing with deep fear and anxiety and worry. I know there are men and women here that are dealing with broken families or broken hearts that are dealing with uh, things that they would never want to say out loud, deep sinfulness, just stuff, anxiety and shame. Lord, the truth is you broke into this world to set us free from all of that. This radical collision where the holiness of God 
overcomes sinful humanity, that if we surrender our lives and put our trust in Jesus, your favor rests upon us and we are promised peace here on earth, like literally peace. And I'm not talking about no more fighting. I'm talking about no more war waged in our hearts. Peace on earth. That we are redeemed by the holiness of God. By the person of Jesus Christ that came and died for our sin. So that we might know you, God. That we might have peace with you. The promise of eternal life, but true, real peaceful, abundant life here on earth. No more war, no more anger, no more hatred, no more garbage, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more worry. Lord, let us trust you. Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that what you would do is you would overtake our anxious hearts with your peace, that you would overtake our war-torn hearts with your peace, that you would overtake our fearful hearts with your peace, that you would overtake our sinful hearts with your peace. And that, God, you would let us rest in you. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Let's stand together and close our time and worship this morning to celebrate all these true promises about who Jesus is and what he came to do.